right, good morning, church. So, yep, after last week, um, Doc said I was all good to be off my quarantine uh, starting Friday evening, and now I get to wear a mask the rest of this week, so Woo. I'm excited about that. So <clears throat> glad to be here, glad to be um, able to breathe well enough to share the word with you guys. Hopefully uh, I got some hot tea going, I can keep the cough a little bit at bay, um, so here we are. We are in chapter 3 of 1 Peter again today. We're calling this Suffer Well. Um, Peter's in his <coughs> kind of long discussion about submission, but in here he kind of takes a, a little bit of a sidebar and talks about suffering persecution and what that looks like and, and how to deal with that and how to cope with that. So if we've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 13 through 22 this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. You'll see the scripture up on the screen. Let's go ahead and hear the word of the Lord. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect." having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, that if, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, then he, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. <clears throat> not as a removal of dirt from the body, <clears throat> but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, powers, having been subjected to him. Go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the day you've given to us. We thank you for this time that we have to be in your word, to be gathered here to, to hear it. I pray, Lord, that as we go into this passage, we go into this section of Scripture, that you would speak to our hearts. You would challenge us. You would convict us. You would draw us closer to you in it. Father, I ask that you would um, put me aside and let your words be heard today. Father, as we enter into this time and we see that this is about suffering, I pray, Lord, that we do just that, that we suffer well, that we see that as we see those around us who are suffering, that we pray for them to suffer well as well. Father, that you remind us of, of the church global and those who are being actively persecuted, not just thought experiment persecuted as we see here often in the West. And you would remind us to pray for them to be strengthened, to be boldened, 
to continue to pursue the gospel above all else. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, he reminds us to start submitting to human authorities, right? In the beginning of chapter 3, he speaks to wives and to husbands about what godly submission looks like inside the home. And then the second half of chapter 3, he gives us encouragement to believers to show godly submission to Christ while suffering through persecution. That's where Peter's going with this. And he uses this idea of godly submission to remind us that that we're sojourners here on earth, right? That we're exiles. He's writing this letter to the exiles in Pontius and Galatia and and all these outside places. (coughs) And we are exiles in a world, right, that rejects our message. We have this message of hope through Jesus Christ, yet the world rejects it all around us. Yet the submission that we show to a hostile world bears witness to our faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It shows our faithfulness to him and to him alone. Right? And as we enter into the second half of, of chapter 3, we see this encouragement to endure during hardships. The victory's already been won. Right? And as followers of Christ, we receive our final reward, right? Eternity in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is the same Jesus who suffered death, but was raised from the dead and has triumphed over all evil and all demonic powers. Right? This should motivate us to live holy for Him, being willing to endure suffering for His sake. Now, I love how Peter starts this out. Right? He starts this section out this way. I love this. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Just who do you think can come after you if you're out there working hard to do good? He's already started us out with this reminder that that there is no permanent harm that can be done to the believer. What are you going to do? Kill me? Woohoo! I get to go to heaven. There's no permanent harm done to me. Everything here on this earth is fleeting. And futile, and and Peter is reminding us of that. For us to die is to gain Christ. The first hearers of this letter were already in suffering, right? They had been dispersed from their places of birth. There were the beginnings and the rumblings of government persecution happening. Christians at this time were not <clears throat> were not well received among the Hellenistic Romans. Right? This isn't some hypothetical harm. Or hypothetical suffering. Right? This is an assurance of hope when it comes. Right? This, this is how Peter's writing this to these folks. They were already seeing real sufferings, real hardships. And then he says in verse 14, he says, even if, right? Even if they suffer now, <coughs> it is okay because God will reward them and they will be blessed by God. For their sufferings. It's a great reminder that, that everything we face here on earth is temporary. We're just passing through. But we are called while passing through to live a life pleasing to a holy God. To a just God. And we honor Christ in doing that. 
And he continues to teach and he says, we should always be able to defend or explain why we have the hope that appears in us when there appears to be no hope around us. Why is it that we have hope when everything around us says we should have none? As followers of Christ, we should be able to provide a righteous rationale for our faith. Right? This is, we approach our explanation of the faith with, with humility. Walking an unbeliever through the gospel while lovingly telling them the hard truth of sin and how sin separates us from God. Defense of the faith, or, <coughs> excuse me, defense of the faith isn't a callous moment of the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it kind of situation. Right? We, we often want to get that way. That's not what he's calling us to here. Right? Defense of the faith isn't expecting those who don't know Christ to live like they do. Hear that? Defending our faith is not expecting those who don't know Jesus Christ to live like they do know Jesus Christ. Right? It's not about us getting mad <coughs> when those unbelievers don't act like they're believers. Defense of the faith is living a countercultural lifestyle to what we see around us. And it's having the ability to explain our convictions when they are called to question. As followers of Christ, when we live in this way, we live in such a manner that you, we have a good conscience. Right? We live so that... <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> We live in such a way that when people revile you, when they bring accusations against you, we live in such a manner that, that when that happens, <coughs> they are the ones who look shameful because they have no real grounds for any of those accusations. It's not our goal. We're not, we're not trying to put people to shame when they, when they come against us. But we live in such a manner that we give such honor to Christ that there's no way that people can bring real accusations real grounds against us. And as we've read through Peter's letter, I, I don't see anywhere here where the best defense is a good offense kind of <coughs> concept being taught. I don't, I don't see Peter saying to rage against the culture of the Hellenistic Romans here. I, I don't see that he's saying rage against the culture of our day to be in some sort of culture war. I see him encouraging personal holiness, personal humility, and, and godly submission to ourselves in ourselves, right? And he says, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. <clears throat> Sometimes God's will for us is to suffer for doing good. Hear that again. Sometimes God's will for us is to suffer for doing good. Man, that hurts. When, when you really look at what Peter's saying here and you take that in, that hurts. I get it. 
But we should be thankful that we have the hope of Jesus Christ, who through His death and His resurrection has won the victory for us. And we receive the eternal reward of being with Him in paradise. That suffering is temporary. That suffering is is minor compared to eternity with Christ. He continues on, for, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. <clears throat> Peter's just laying out the gospel there. Jesus, God the Son, suffered a human life that was faultless and without sin, yet died, died, so that those who have sin may be brought to God. That is the gospel message in a nutshell. That, that he suffered and died as the righteous one in place of you and I, the unrighteous ones. This is, this is the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, that, that he paid the price for your sin. A price you and I cannot afford to pay. A price we couldn't pay if we wanted to pay. But Jesus did it in our place. And after his death, he was, he was raised to life to give those who surrender their lives to him a new life. A life that is beyond this realm. Peter continues, <coughs> And says that Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. We know that Jesus was physically put to death on the cross. His human body physically died. <coughs> we also know that he was physically resurrected. But when he ascended to heaven... His resurrection body now resides in a spiritual realm. This is a reminder to those of us with Christ that, that all suffering in this world is ultimately unimportant in the grand scheme of eternity. Everything about what we go through physically here on earth is temporary. It's fleeting. Peter emphasizes this throughout the letter. <coughs> And reminds us that if Jesus was, was willingly, right, Jesus willingly suffered physical harm, even to the point of, of a physical death for the sake of our eternity, for the sake of our spiritual gain, it should not surprise us as hearers of this word today that we would follow in his footsteps, that we would have physical suffering for the sake of eternity, that we would have physical suffering for someone else's spiritual gain. This is what he's calling us to, to. To turn to him in that, to seek him out for hope, to dive deeper into Christ as these sufferings come along. I love that gospel message he presents here. For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, 
being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the Spirit. Mm. We start to get into verse 19. Just read verse 19 and 20. This is, this is a peculiar passage. Verse 19, In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, <coughs> because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought to safety through water. Verse 19 is a very peculiar verse in Scripture. Uh, It's one that's a little bit misunderstood, misapplied, misknown. There's not a lot of good academic, uh, theological, scholarly um, conclusions that are come about with this. And so before we... (coughs) Excuse me. Before we dive into verse 19, I want to remind us of a couple things. When we find passages like this, it's always better to read and study them, even though they're tough and weird, than to skip over them. Right? We know that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for the teaching, for reproof, and for correction, and for the training up in righteousness. We know this to be true. Second, there's something here that I like what Dr. Al Mohler, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, he calls a doctrinal triage, right? That there, there, there are elements amongst the doctrine that we, we have to kind of triage and talk them through. Those first and those primary issues, the most, the most serious, <coughs> those are the non-negotiables. They are what make us a Christian. They are what define us as believers in Christ, right? Salvation comes from faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. If someone denies the deity of Jesus Christ or claims that he is one of many paths to heaven, they are not a true Christian. That's that's non-negotiable. Proclaiming the exclusivity of Jesus Christ is a mark of Christianity. There are other things that we would say that are in that first tier of Christianity. Virgin birth. God created all things. Like, there, there would be these things that we would, we would list out. Okay? <coughs> Secondary issues are the issues that we as believers may have differing opinions and convictions about, but we agree on all the primary issues. Those differing opinions and, and convictions define us, and they unify us at a local body level. Right? One of the, an example of that would be baptism. Right? I, I do not believe that our brothers and sisters in Christ who are Presbyterians and happen to practice infant baptism are lost and going to hell. Uh, that's very unbaptist maybe of me to say, but I don't believe that. Okay? <clears throat> but we here at Calvary Heights Baptist Church practice believers' baptism by immersion. That's what we believe. If a family came in and wanted to join us, and they wanted Chris or I to baptize their baby, we wouldn't do it. That would not unify us as, as a body of believers. We'd have a conversation with them about our convictions and why we hold to them. 
<coughs> if they see things our way, have a change in their own convictions, we'd welcome them in. If not, we'd probably assist them in finding a solid body of believers who follow the same convictions they have about that kind of baptism. Right? That, that's a secondary issue. Tertiary issues are those that after we agree on the primary and we agree on the secondary, we can sit in the exact same pew but have differing opinions on and it does not affect our fellowship whatsoever. <coughs> right? We can still belong to a local body. Verses 19 and 20 of 1 Peter 3 fall into that category. These are a tertiary issue and probably amongst the tertiary issues, honestly, they're way down at the bottom of the ladder. Okay? There's no real conclusive agreement among scholars about what Peter means here in these. And there's at least five plausible theories about what Peter means. Now, I want to say this. In my limited research, I want to emphasize limited research. There are guys who have written doctoral dissertations on this stuff. I did not want to read a 200-page chapter book on this particular verse in my limited research, I'll be honest. But in my limited research, I have landed on <coughs> the idea that the Spirit of God, that through the Spirit of God, Noah preached a message of repentance through faith in God to those who mocked him for building the ark. Okay. This message of repentance and faith in God paralleled Jesus' preaching of repentance through faith in God. Right? Those who heard Noah's message did not repent. Therefore, they are in hell today for mocking God and their sinful ways. That's what I believe verses 19 and 20 refers to. That's where I'm at in my limited research. Tertiary things within the doctrines are things that we can sometimes change around as we do more research. That's okay. But when I look at this, here's one of the big takeaways of this little bit of Scripture. Okay? First, there are evil forces that seek to harm the believer, but they have no real power, no matter how we look at that. Right? They're in prison. They sought to either harm Noah or they harm the gospel or whatever they sought to do. They had no real power. Nothing came of it. Second, when we look and we see those who are disobedient to God being imprisoned for their disobedience, <coughs> that should encourage us to do good for the sake of the gospel. When we see that, that, that should break our hearts, one, that there are people who, who are so stubborn to hearing the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that they would continue, even to the point of hell, that should break our hearts. It should encourage us to be all the more doing good that, that Peter has called us to do here. Right? That we should suffer for doing good for, it is, for if that should be God's will for, then for doing evil. That we should pursue that more. And it should motivate us to spread the gospel with the hope that people would repent and turn to Christ so they don't have to endure that prison of hell for eternity. 
This should be a motivator for us to continue <coughs> to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ among all things. To love people the way we have been called to love them. To share the gospel with them. To, to just pray that God would change their hearts to this message. To lovingly defend our faith in front of them so that they may know Christ and to hold on to that hope. Then he goes into verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He makes this, this comparison between salvation in the ark and baptism. <clears throat> now, we understand that the physical act of baptism does not save. Okay? Um, if the physical act of baptism saved people, there'd be a lot more preachers with a lot more fire trucks. We'd be getting everybody wet, trying to get everybody we could into heaven. Right? That's, that's how it would work. But that's not what happens. The physical act of baptism does not save. <clears throat> it does symbolize and represent our inward faith. Right? It shows that we have appealed to God for the forgiveness of our sins. It is our public proclamation that we have died to self so that we may live for Christ. It doesn't wash away any dirt. Right? It's a public proclamation of that. We now share with Christ in His victory over sin. When we're baptized, we're proclaiming that. Right? We're proclaiming that we share in that victory now over sin. Our, our water baptism is this outward sign of an inward regeneration. God changing us and making us new. <clears throat> that comes from the Holy Spirit. And it is received only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Peter's making this, this comparison. Baptism, which corresponds to this. Corresponds to what? To the ark. Now saves you as a, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How in the world does it correspond like that? Well, there were eight people that God saw as being good, being righteous among what was left of the men, and they had faith that God would save them. They proclaimed a repentance to others in the same way that through Jesus Christ, we have faith that He will forgive us through our repentance in Him, right? That we, we have that same shared faith that we know that God is Savior of all. That's what Peter's getting at. That when we come to that, that we see that God will make us new creatures. He will create in us new things. And we go to Him and appeal, God, forgive me. I have sinned before you, a holy and just God. I need your forgiveness, and I need your salvation. We make that appeal before a holy and just God. He is good and faithful to do 
just that. And then as he concludes chapter 3, he reminds us that Christ has triumphed over his enemies. Who, right? He talks about <coughs> Jesus who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Christ has triumphed over his enemies. And that is, that is the best news ever. Jesus has won. There's nothing you and I can do anymore except just be there, be a part of Him. He has won. He's now ascended to the right hand of the Father. All angels and all demonic powers are not subjected to Him <coughs> because He is Lord. What does this mean for you and me? It means we submit our lives to Christ. We will endure some suffering. We will endure some suffering, whether it's persecution or physical suffering, whether it's illness, whether it's <coughs> loss. We will endure some suffering. But submitting our lives to Christ also means that we have hope through that suffering. Jesus gives us hope when there is suffering. And the other thing that means is that we have victory in spite of the suffering we may have. Christ Himself suffered. And He suffered unto death for our spiritual gain and for our salvation. We should rejoice through our sufferings. It shows that we have submitted our lives to Jesus for the sake of the Gospel. <coughs> and it shows... We know there is more to life than what we see right now. We've been called to suffer well for the sake of the gospel. We are called to rejoice knowing that Jesus has triumphed. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much. Thank you so much that with Jesus we have hope. And that when we endure sufferings, we can suffer well. <coughs> I pray, Lord, that as we go from here today, you would remind us to seek you above all else, to submit ourselves to you more and more every day so that when suffering does occur, our hope is greater than our suffering. Father, I pray that as we, we get ready to close here that you would You'd move in us. Challenge us. You would convict us. You would you'd grab a hold of our hearts. Teach us to, to submit all things to you. So that we may have a greater hope in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray.